Before I get into the message, I want to say a word to those of you who are listening online. Um, the Sunday that we were supposed to record this message, something happened with the recording device and uh, the sermon wasn't recorded. And so I'm actually recording this from my study at home. And so if ever in the middle of this message, it sounds like I'm awkwardly reading words off a page in my study. Um, that's because I'm awkwardly reading words off a page in my study. So I'll try to um, make this as animated as I can. I really like preaching to people. I don't like speaking to a, a recorder. But we think it's a good thing to get all the messages online. So with that, uh, let me pray and I'll get into the message for today, which is called Building Up the Body in Love. Father, I thank you so much for the opportunity to sit here and to do this tonight. I trust you, Father. And I trust that for some reason the message on Sunday wasn't pleasing to you or for some reason you thought it best not to, to capture that message and you thought it best to capture this message. And I don't know why, but I trust in you. And even if there's no particular reason, Father, I take joy in the fact that though technology fails, you never fail. I praise you for that, Father. You are faithful to the end. And whatever you say you will do, you do. Whatever you promise, you fulfill. And I just love you for that, Father. I love you that you're steadfast when everything around us is shaking. You're an anchor, Lord, in the midst of a drifting sea called life. And I, I just thank you, Father. I praise you. I give you all of my worship and all of my thanks. And now, Lord, help me as I speak. I pray and help anyone who might listen to this message. I pray that the message would have life to it. I pray that it would be true to the word. And I pray that it would guide your people in whatever way you think that that should happen. I give my heart to you now, Father. I give my thanks and praise to you in Jesus' great and gracious name. Amen. Glory of Christ Fellowship exists to make disciples for the glory of Christ. That's why we planted the church, and that's why we're glad to give our lives to prospering this church and serving this church, as long as the Lord would give us life and opportunity. We take our mission statement from the words of Jesus in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, where he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you all the way to the end of the age. Now, since Jesus himself commanded us to make a life of making disciples, then we would do well to ask the question, what is a disciple? Well, as I said a couple of weeks ago, if you look at the dictionary definition of the Greek word for disciple, you'll see that it's a very basic word. It just means a, a student or an apprentice or a follower of some sort. But when the word is used in the New Testament to refer to those who follow Jesus, it takes on a much more profound meaning than this. Because it turns out that when a person makes the decision to follow Christ, that Christ has actually, before the foundation of the world, chosen them and Christ has called them and Christ has drawn them to the Father by the power of the Holy Spirit and Christ has made them into a disciple and Christ has destined them to be formed into his very image and so a disciple of Jesus is not simply a person who's decided for one reason or another to follow Jesus Rather, a disciple of Jesus is one who's been chosen by Jesus to become like Jesus. 
Now, on the one hand, this is a, a very mysterious truth, and probably we'll never fully understand it on this side of heaven. But on the other hand, as I said a couple of weeks ago, I, I do think that we can in some measure uh, begin to understand the, what it means to be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. Let me just try to put it as simply as I can. To be transformed into the image of Jesus is to take on the character of Jesus. So it's it's to become like Jesus from the inside out. I do think there's a sense in which we'll one day even physically uh, uh, shine brightly with the glory of Jesus. And even now, you know, I've known some people who just have this kind of glow about them. And I think that glow is due to the glory of Jesus. So, so, so to be transformed in his image means more than sharing in his character, but, but it begins with sharing his character. To be like Christ is to share in the heart of Christ. And so he is loving. And over time, as we follow him, we become loving. Jesus is kind, and over time, we too become kind. Jesus is gentle and patient and self-controlled. And so over time, we too become gentle and patient and self-controlled. As we seek Jesus, as we spend time with Jesus, as we learn of Jesus by his word and his spirit, as we spend time with others who are seeking Jesus as well, and we gradually transform into his image. We come to participate in his character. We become like him. We image Jesus to the church and to the world. Now, I've said many times, we will never actually be Jesus. He is God and we are not. He is created and he is the creator and we are the created ones. But by his love and by his power, we are being transformed into his image we're becoming by grace what he is by nature. And this is why I say that a disciple is one who has been destined by Christ to be transformed into the very image of Christ. That's a little bit more profound than what it means to be a follower or an apprentice or a student of some sort. It's quite a lot more profound than that. So I said a couple of weeks ago that as we grow in Christ, I think our understanding and as we grow in understanding, I think we come to see that this process of transformation is not just individualistic. In fact, it's not mainly individualistic, but rather it's communal. Life in Christ is primarily not about me and Jesus, but primarily it's about us and Jesus. So I'm not going to take the time to walk through all the scriptures again that we went through a couple of weeks ago. But I do want to say that if we'll read the New Testament carefully, we'll notice that most of the language is we language, and it's us language, and it's the plural you language. Now here our, our friends in the South help us quite a lot, because instead of just saying you for the singular you, and you for the plural you, they say you and y'all, right? Or our friends out in New Jersey, they, they like to say you and use guys. So you got the singular you and the plural use guys. And even though these things aren't grammatically correct, I think it would actually help us a lot if our Bible used either either y'all or use guys. Because in some study that I did this week, I, I learned that somewhere around 80% of the time the word you is used in the New Testament, it's actually in the plural. It actually means you all or use guys. So... The idea is that because Jesus saved each of us, 
and is forming us into a people, into a temple, into a body, into a bride, into a household, into a, a vineyard with a vine and many branches. Because of all of that, life in Christ is mainly about us, not mainly about me. Jesus' vision of the church is not a collection of individuals, but in his mind, it's a deeply unified body of believers who are held together by the ultimate superglue of the Holy Spirit. He lives in you if you believe in him. He lives in me. And since you are in him and I am in him, we are glued together by the, by the gospel of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. And so again, the vision of Jesus Christ is of a body, a bride, a temple, a household, a vineyard, and all of these things smack of us, not simply of me. Life in Christ is about us. Now this message, when it's received by the arms of faith, not only transforms the believing soul, but it unites the believing soul to every other believing soul, namely to the church. So again, Life in Christ is not primarily about me and Jesus, it's about us and Jesus. And this is why Jason's sermon from last week is so important in my mind, because the only way that broken people can help broken people transform into the image of Christ is if we'll band together to remind one another of the gospel. If we'll band together to point to one another, to, to point one another to the Jesus who saved us and the Jesus who is unifying us and the Jesus who is keeping us and the Jesus who is building us into his church. We're not like other people, beloved. We don't band together in order to keep a list of rules. We don't band together in order to help each other do better this week. We don't band together in order to offer a more powerful means of self-help or, or self-improvement as though we were some kind of 12-step group. No, unlike all of these, we band together by the grace and mercy of Christ to point one another toward Christ. He alone has the power to transform souls. He alone has the power to forge us into a body of believers. And he alone will cause us together to be shaped into his image forever and ever and ever. Well, beloved, the church of Jesus Christ is truly a glorious thing because Jesus has made us to be glorious. Jesus has made us to behold and to bear and to image his glory to all of creation. And I'm not making this up. Please turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3, verses 8 through 10. Ephesians 3, verses 8 through 10. There Paul writes this. He says, To me, Paul, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Oh, beloved, I want to encourage you. I really don't mean this to sound like I'm talking down to you because I'm really not but I just want to encourage you to join me in not being superficial Christians just thinking about the church in cultural ways 
in normal ways, in ways that we're used to thinking about the church. I want to encourage you to take the time to meditate on God's Word and to behold the glorious things He's doing in the church and in the world and in the heavenly places through the church. Disciples, I say, on the basis of Ephesians 3.8 and many other passages, are those who have been destined by Christ to be transformed into the image of Christ so that we together might image the glory of Christ to all creation. Now that's an important sentence, so let me repeat it. Disciples are those who have been destined by Christ to be transformed into the image of Christ together so that we might image the glory of Christ to all creation wonder if you've ever been reading along in your Bibles and, and uh, you know, for whatever reason, this time through, a sentence just jumps out at you and, and grabs your heart and, and it just impacts you in such a way and you don't remember seeing it in your Bible before, so you're just sure that somehow in the middle of the night somebody snuck into your Bible and put a sentence in there that wasn't in there last year when you read it. Well, I've been reading the Bible for 25 years. I've read it through every year for all those years. And for the last five years or so, I've been the pastor of a church called Glory of Christ. So you'd think that when I'm reading the Bible through, the phrase Glory of Christ would really have jumped out at me. But this year, in fact, just last week, as I was reading in my quiet times through 2 Corinthians, I came across this phrase in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 23. Paul writes, As for Titus... He is my partner and fellow worker for your benefit. And as for our brothers, they are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. Beloved, Jesus, through Paul, just called his church the glory of Christ. Please don't pass over that quickly. That's in 2 Corinthians 8.23. Some of your translations will read a little bit differently. But I know Greek well, and I agree with the ESV when they translate it this way. Jesus, through Paul, is calling his church the glory of Christ. This means, at least, that when he looks upon us, he doesn't see the things that we see, but he sees his own glory being reflected off of us, and he proclaims with great delight that we are just that, his glory. He calls us the glory of Christ. Now, why would he make such an outlandish and preposterous and really even scandalous claim? Well, it's simply because of what I said. He just, he destined us to be transformed into his very image together so that we might image his glory to all creation. So when as a church we become like Jesus and we're loving, we are imaging the glory of Jesus to all of creation. When as a church we become like Jesus and we're kind, then we image Jesus to all of creation. When as a church we become like Jesus and we're self-controlled, then we image Jesus to all of creation. This is what it means to be the church. And this is the ultimate reason for which Jesus commanded us to make disciples. He has commanded us to cooperate with him informing a people who accurately image him to all of creation. So with that amazing and impossible mission in mind, at least in our flesh it's impossible, I want to address and uh, 
And I want to raise and address the questions that I raised a couple of weeks ago, namely this. Uh, how then are we to make disciples? I guess I said questions plural, but I'm just asking one more question. How are we to make disciples? Well, as the elders of the church have meditated on this together, we've come up with four answers. First, we make disciples by preaching the word of Christ. Second, by teaching the word of Christ. Third, by counseling by the word of Christ. And fourth, by equipping for the work of Christ. So I briefly addressed each of these things two weeks ago, and now I want to I address them in a little bit more detail now and talk about how we plan to give attention to these things in 2012 and 13. So first of all, the church is called to make disciples by proclaiming the good news of Jesus to those who have never heard it or to those who have never received it. This is what I mean by preaching the word of Christ. There are other meanings to the word preaching, and we know that well around here. But in this context, I mean proclaiming the gospel. This church, and all churches, are called to join Jesus in his quest to seek and save unbelievers and what we might call underbelievers, by which I mean those who know something about Jesus, but they don't actually know Jesus. So, so maybe they've heard the gospel, maybe they've even grown up in church. And they know quite a few things about Jesus, and maybe in some sense they even think that they believe. But the truth of the matter is that they've never actually come to know Jesus as he is, and we are called to do everything we can to preach the message of the incarnation, and the life, and the death, and the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus to them. As Paul said, he was not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, because it is the, the message of of God that is the power for salvation to everybody who believes. And as a church, we're called to be heralds of that message in the world. There's no way to even begin making disciples if we're not about the work of evangelism, about the work of, of, um, of spreading that message to those who haven't heard it or who have yet to believe it. Now, in the early days of glory of Christ, we did a, a lot of research about the kind of people who live in Minnesota and, and particularly who live in the northwest suburbs of the Twin Cities. One of the more alarming and, and gripping things that we found out in those days was that there were somewhere in the neighborhood of 250,000 people who had left churches in the previous five years and who had never gone back to any church at all. So somewhere between the years 2000 and 2005, a quarter of a million people in Minnesota left churches and they never came back to a church of any kind. Now, I don't assume that, that all of those people, or even most of those people, were true believers, but I'm sure many of them were. But whatever the case, they left the church, they never came back to the church. And I can't tell you just how deeply moved I was as I thought about those people back in those days. I lost sleep over those people. I prayed for those people. I cried for those people. And I prayed and I asked the Lord to make of our church a place where people like that could come and find a place of healing, find a place of refreshing, find a place of equipping, find a place of restoration, and find a place where they could become fruitful again in Christ. And after these last five years, I want to tell you as clearly as I can that I still have a deep passion for this group of people. I don't know what the latest numbers are. I don't know if that group has grown or dipped or whatever, but I'm assuming that there's still a whole lot of people out there in that category and I long for our church to be a place, 
kind of like a hospital where they can come in and find Jesus and be healed and 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 be restored and be be and come back to a, a place of fruitfulness again in their lives. But in addition to this, I've been sounding this alarm over the last months and maybe even year. I feel that it's time for us to seriously grow in the passion to share the the good news of Jesus with those who've never heard it or with those who have yet to believe. In other words, we need to go out and reach people who are completely outside of the church. I praise God that some of us have what I would call the gift of evangelism, and some of us have the, the practice or the habit of evangelism, even if we don't have the gift. But as a church, it's time for us to rise up and grow in this passion and in this skill of sharing the hope of Jesus with those who don't have it. Last week, I, I uh, uh, myself, I had the, the, the privilege of sharing the gospel with a friend of mine uh, two days in a row for a total of about three hours. That might seem like a, a lot to you, a lot of time to invest in sharing the gospel. Um, you know, sometimes we're, we're trained to share the gospel in as little as about two minutes. But, but I want to remind you that sometimes the Apostle Paul uh, took multiple days to share the gospel with people. And so sometimes it just takes time. And in this case, it took a little time. I don't want to go into too many of the details of the conversation that I had because I don't want to, to violate my, my friend's privacy or her dignity. But I do want to say this. There, there's really no joy in my life that's greater than the joy of overflowing and sharing the love of Christ with someone who has no hope. It's just an amazing thing to be filled with the, the wisdom and the, the love and the power of Christ to lovingly share Christ with someone who really needs it. Um, this, this friend of mine is, uh, is going through a lot in her life, and she shared with me that, that uh, you know, after all these years, I, I knew her many years ago, and we haven't been in touch for a long, long time, and then in recent months, we got in touch over Facebook, and just for the record, my wife, Kim, is completely aware of this, and she's aware of every conversation that I have with this person, and she herself has talked to this person. I never have any kind of significant interaction with a woman except with Kim's knowledge and permission. So I just want to say that to be clear. But Kim and I, in partnership, really have uh, have have tried to love this person uh, through a difficult season in her life. And because there's been so much distance uh, of time between us, she was saying to me the other day. She 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 just kept saying, "What are you doing in my life right now?" You know, like I'm really hurting. I'm really going through all this stuff, and I just know that you're in my life for some reason. And what are you doing in my life right now? And I just kept saying to her over and again, I, I said, I, I think you know what I'm doing in your life right now. I think you know that I have come into your life to bring hope into your life that'll be an anchor for you that won't give way no matter what the circumstances of your life are. And, uh, and. You know, she hasn't come to a place where she's totally ready to believe in Christ yet. And that's fine. I told her, I'm not a salesman. There's no pressure here. I'm just trying to authentically share the love of Christ with you. And I'll leave it to you to figure out what to do with that. But she's really close. So I'll tell you that. I feel like she's close to to seeing Jesus for who she is. And beloved, I just can't tell you the depth of joy that's there in my heart um, because I had the privilege of being the one to overflow and share something of the love of Christ with her. And I want to have more of that joy in my life. And I want you to have more of that joy in your life. And so, you know, it's not as though the elders of this church are calling you in, into the, the sort of the legalistic habit of sharing Jesus, you know. Like get out, get out there on the streets and, and, and give a prepackaged pitch to 10 people a week because that's your duty in Christ. 
You know, that's not the kind of thing that we're calling you to. All we're saying is be so filled with the love of Christ that you come to share in the passion of Christ for the lost to the extent that you're willing to cross the bridge and go over and share the love of Christ with them. Oh, beloved, how I pray that you will join us in the joy of overflowing with the love of Christ. Last August, uh, uh, Asa Veek and Scott Flager gave a four-week seminar on evangelism, and, and it went really well. And so they're going to give that training again in Sunday school in late November and early December. So during the Sunday school hour, so from 11 to 12 uh, on Sunday mornings, right in the main worship area, they will be giving that offering. And I really want to encourage you to come and learn a little bit more about how to share your faith. Even if you've already gone through the course, come go through it again. I'm going to sit through it again. So, uh, well, I say again, I haven't been through their particular training, but I've been through lots of trainings, and I'm going to go through this one again because I just want to keep learning and be encouraged to overflow and share my faith. Next spring, we plan on giving a whole day seminar about how to use uh, hospitality as a tool to reach out to your family and your friends and your neighbors to share the love of Christ. So please plan on joining us in that and in any other way that, uh, that in any other thing that you can to grow in your uh, passion and ability to overflow with the love of Christ. May God give us the power to share his gospel with power. So the first way we go about making disciples is by preaching the good news to people who haven't heard it yet or who haven't received it. And the second way we go about making disciples is by teaching believers the depths of the contours of that same message of the gospel. So when people come to believe in Jesus, we don't graduate from the gospel and then move on to bigger and better things. Rather, the Lord keeps pressing the gospel deeper and deeper and deeper into our hearts and minds so that we come to understand the height and the depth and the width and the breadth of who Jesus Christ is. In 1 Corinthians 15, at the beginning of the chapter there, Paul says that we were saved by the gospel, past tense, that we are being saved or that we're standing in the gospel, uh, an ever ongoing present tense, and that finally when Jesus comes in that last day, we will be saved by the gospel. So the good news of Jesus isn't just for the day when we first believed in Jesus, but it's the thing by which we live day by day by day by day. It's the thing by which we grow. So when Jesus commanded us to go and make disciples, he told us that we should preach to them, baptize them until they believe, and <laughs> I'm sorry, baptize those who believe, and then we should teach them to observe or practice everything that he commanded. Or if I can put that in the words of Paul, he told us to make disciples by declaring to them the whole counsel of God, which is the gospel. And we're going to see in more depth next week, uh, as we begin our study of Hebrews, that, that every word God ever spoke has flowed through Christ. It is primarily about Christ, and it finds its ultimate meaning in Christ. So all revelation of God is essentially about Christ. And therefore, all revelation of God is essentially about the gospel. And, and that's why I say we must teach the gospel to all believers. Our minds have been ruined by sin so that we believe lots and lots of lies. And the way that God mainly reverses this problem is by teaching us the truth of his word by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
So we need, as believers, to come to know the truth about theological things like God, creation, humanity, mortality, sin, redemption, the church, heaven, hell, final judgment, and so many other things. We must come to know the truth about practical matters like romance, marriage, sexuality, children, work, play, money, philanthropy, friendship, time management, planning, and so many other things. We must also come to know the truth about matters of the heart, like happiness, humility, pride, depression, stress, hope, joy, love, a proper sense of self, and so many other things. And finally, we must come to know the truth about spiritual disciplines like Bible study and worship and prayer and fasting and meditation and silence and rest and service and evangelism and many other things. As our, our minds must be renewed by the truth of Christ so that we can be transformed into the image of Christ together. Please just take the time and let that sink in. The way that we're actually transformed into the image of Christ is by the renewing of our minds. At least that's how it starts. And God does this as the Holy Spirit applies the words of Scripture to our lives together. And so the point of learning in the church is not just so that we'll know a bunch of stuff about a bunch of stuff. Rather, the point of our learning is so that we'll know Jesus as he is and come to be as he is. It's so that we'll learn to, to see as Jesus sees and think as Jesus thinks and feel as Jesus feels and act as he acts and be as he is. So the point of learning God's truth is, is that we might become like the God of truth. I've heard over the years some people say that Glory of Christ is a, a teaching church and I don't object to that uh, description. But if that's what we are, I pray that we will teach to the end that God's people will be transformed into his image. The last thing that we need is more theological eggheads in the world. People who just know a bunch of stuff about God but don't actually know God and act like God. Rather, what we need is an army of men and women who are being transformed into the image of Christ by the truth and power of Christ and I pray that those who make up this church will be part of that army, men, women, and believing children alike. So as elders, uh, we aim to teach you in many ways, and in the interest of time, I'm not going to mention them all, but let me just conclude this point by saying that our aim is, is, is not to learn for the sake of learning. Our aim is to learn for the sake of love. We want to learn so that we'll worship God better, and we want to learn so that we'll be wiser in the way that we apply truth to one another's lives. And that leads me to the next point. In order to make disciples for the glory of Christ, we must, we must first preach to those who do not believe. Second, we must teach those who believe. And third, we must learn to speak biblical counsel into one another's lives. Whereas Paul said in Ephesians 4.15, we must learn to speak the truth in love. As our minds are transformed by the truth of Christ, so our hearts are transformed by the application of that truth to our lives. So that's at least in part why Paul wrote what he did in Colossians 3.16. Let me read what he wrote there. Colossians 3.16 Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So Paul had this vision of a people who were being transformed by the power and the word of Christ. 
And then they were also, by that word, being equipped to wisely speak it into one another's lives so that they were all the more transformed into the image of Jesus. This process would then give rise to the praise of God among the people because the people would be experiencing the living, transforming power of God in their midst. Please, beloved, stop with me or, or pause with me. Slow down here. Just, just meditate on this fact. Go to Colossians 3.16. If nothing that I'm saying makes sense, or if I'm, for whatever reason, being boring or whatever, just go to Colossians 3.16 and think about this. I would put it this way. True biblical counsel spoken by the people of God to the people of God gives rise to the authentic praise of God because it unleashes the transformative power of God in their midst. Now that's a mouthful, so let me repeat it and maybe encourage you to even write it down and think about it. True biblical counsel spoken by the people of God to the people of God gives rise to authentic praise of God because it unleashes the transformative power of God in our midst. As I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, there's literally nothing in this life that we're facing that can't be touched and transformed by the power of God right here in the life of this church. I say this not because I mean to make much of who we are, but because I mean to make much of Christ who is with us. We have with us in Christ the presence of God, the Word of God, the community of God, the Spirit of God, the willingness of God, the mercy of God, the power of God. We have God. And therefore, because we have God, we have everything that we need. We literally need nothing else. So, in addition to everything we have in God, maybe the only other thing that we need is growing skill in speaking the Word of Christ into one another's lives. And as I said to you a couple of weeks ago, the elders actually have a plan for doing just that. Let me just briefly tell you what we're thinking. First of all, we will be offering a five or six session class in October and November during the Sunday school hour right in the, in the worship area. So again, that will be from 11 to 12 on Sunday mornings in the worship area. And the point of this class will be to introduce us to the basics of biblical counseling. Mike and Jesse Doss will be uh, co-teaching the class. And, and what the idea will be is that they'll be training us in how to speak biblical wisdom into one another's lives. We're not talking here about Dr. Phil and Oprah with Bible verses kind of counseling. We're talking about speaking the wisdom of God and the Word of God into one another's lives in such a way that it actually affects transformation and gives rise to the praise of God. We believe as elders that this cause or, or this calling and this ability was given to the church as a whole, not just to a subclass of experts among us. Now, some of us, we believe, will be gifted at speaking the counsel of God into one another's lives. And so we hope to identify those people and to train those people well and to lift them up before the church. So the, especially those who have particularly great needs for counseling will be able to find uh, uh, the, the help they need inside the church. But the way we read the Bible is that this calling to counseling is for all believers. We are all called to be filled with the word of Christ. We are all called to teach and admonish one another by the word of Christ. 
And then we're all called to worship together as we see the transformative power of Christ unleashed in our midst. So once again, we're, we're offering this class in October and November. And then at a time still to be determined, uh, we're going to offer a more in-depth training. Uh, we, we purchased a series of DVDs that go pretty deeply into all of the, the particulars of biblical counseling. And, uh, and I'll let you know as soon as that's set up, but we're going to be bringing people through that as well in the, in the fall and winter and early spring. And then next March and April and May, uh, down at Bethlehem Baptist Church, there is a, a church in Lafayette, Indiana, who is particularly gifted at all of this. And they're coming up to the Twin Cities to do a training. And we're going to be sending some of our leaders and actually also encouraging as many of you as want to come to go ahead and come to us with that training. And again, beloved, the point is this. In order to make disciples for the glory of Christ, we must preach the gospel teach the gospel, and speak the gospel into one another's lives. And this leads to the fourth and final point with which I'll be very brief. In order to make disciples for the glory of Christ, the elders especially must equip the saints from the work, for the work of ministry. We get this especially from Ephesians 4.12, and we feel that the best way to carry out this calling is to do on-the-job training. So in other words, uh, the way we think is that, that Jesus equipped his disciples by just bringing his disciples along with him as he did ministry, and then uh, along the way he taught them all kinds of things. His disciples, the apostles, then picked this up, and that's the way they trained other people for ministry, and that's the way their disciples trained other people for ministry, and so on and so on. So we're currently working on various pathways into ministry here at GCF, and we'll uh, keep you up to date as that becomes more and more clear. But, but all I really need you to know right now is we believe that the best way to be equipped for ministry is to engage in ministry. So in conclusion, I want to, to encourage you to listen to the command of Jesus and rise up and pray and discover that place or those places where you're passionate about contributing to the body of Christ and the work of Christ in the world, and then just approach the leaders in the church, and we'll help you figure out how to plug in. The best way to equip yourself for ministry or to be equipped for ministry is to engage in ministry. And so I want to encourage you to pray and to rise up and to play your part, because the Lord uh, has this vision of the church where when every part plays its part, the body grows together and the body uh, grows itself up in love. And so since it's Jesus himself that's issuing this call, I have no hesitation to, to, uh, to extend this call to you, to issue this call to you at this particular church and call upon you to rise up. The call to make disciples has been given by the Lord himself to everyone who believes and so join us in this quest to increase our joy and his glory by playing the part that he's designed you to play. With that, let me pray for us. Our Father, I want to thank you again for the privilege of going through this sermon again. I trust you for your purposes. I trust you for, um, you know, whatever your plans are, whatever reasons you had in causing me to have to go through this again. I thank you for the renewed passion and vigor I feel even right this moment for all of these things. And I pray that you would use your word, Father, to call your church to rise up. I pray that each part would play its part in the life of this church. And I pray that the church would therefore be built up in love 
so that we would be transformed into your image together and that we would rightly image your being to all of creation. Oh, Father, your your dreams for the church, your purposes for the church are deep and they're glorious. And I pray that by the power and grace and mercy of Christ that you would fulfill them all in us and through us. We pray this in the mighty and merciful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.